Uh, will you guys do me a favor, put your hands together, and welcome my dad, Bill Isaacs. Well, thank you, Jason. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes you hear, you hear introductions and you just wonder. It's kind of like my father, who is a master storyteller, tells the story about a woman whose, hu whose husband was... Okay. Technology's wonderful if you know how to Am I on? Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, I think that does it. We're done. And uh, my dad tells the story about a woman whose husband had passed away, and he gets to the funeral, and everybody is just talking about how amazing, how wonderful, how incredible the guy is. And so the woman leans over to her son and says, slip up there and see if that's your dad. I don't recognize anybody they're talking about. So I'm not sure that I'm all the things that Jason says, but... Uh, what an honor it is this morning for me to be able to be here and uh, how I love your church. I don't often get to come, but when I do get to come, I always enjoy uh, seeing some of you and uh, thank you for loving our kids and supporting them and being a part of the vision and plans that they have. I know they are completely and totally committed. Uh, not too long ago, uh, we were in town for a few days and uh, we were walking around the neighborhood and Sadie Hope said to me, she said, Papa, what would be so cool is if you and Nina would just buy a house close by. And then that way I could have my own bedroom because I don't think I'm going to get my own bedroom at our house now with all the kids that are there. So, um, we, so anyway, uh, when Nina comes down, her and Sadie walk the neighborhood and they find the vacant houses and the available houses. So last night, Sadie informed me that the house next door is coming open and I could get a good bid on that house, maybe I could move in. But uh, anyway, it is an honor to be here today and to be a part of this series uh, and to have some understanding about uh, what all's been going on. I've been watching the videos online, been following, of course, uh, talking to Jason as he goes through this series. Uh, a little bit of back, background, in November of this past year, the Lord really was dealing with me in a very uh, individual but specific kind of way. And I, I sat with my wife one day in the car before we went in the house, and I said, listen, I, I just want to unpack with you. I don't know exactly what it is God's doing, but I feel this incredible tug in my heart that God wants me to pursue obedience. She said, well, what do you think that means? I said, I don't know. But here's what I think I want to do. I want to take the whole next month, and I want to read everything I can in the Bible about obedience, and I want to pray and fast and seek God about what it means to be obedient to God. So during the month of December, every day, I read everything I could get my hands on, everything I could find in the Bible about obedience. And, and what I discovered is what you will discover, that the whole Bible is about obedience. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about God's desire for our hearts to be aligned with him, for his, his desire for us to want what he wants and to be connected to the plans that he has for our life. Not because he wants to control us, but because he knows that when he, what he wants for us, what he's planned for us, are the best things in life for us. And so uh, the whole book is about obedience, especially uh, I got attracted to the book of Jonah and uh, there's four chapters in the book of Jonah, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And I read the book of Jonah every day for 31 days. Sometimes I would read it twice a day. And uh, what God began to explode into my heart was this, 
this thing that God is always after my heart. He doesn't really care what's in my hands. He's not all that interested. You know, the disciples on one occasion, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say to him, listen, your disciples aren't playing by the rules. They're not washing their hands before they eat. And Jesus said, do you think I care whether they wash their hands or not? What goes into your mouth is not what I'm worried about. It's what comes out of your heart. That's what I'm really worried about. That's what I'm really interested in. And I, and I realized in reading the book of Jonah that God is about pursuing our hearts. What's in our heart? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Why are we thinking the way that we are? Why are we living the way that we do? Why do we make the decisions that we make? That's what God's really into. And so out of that came this writing project. And, and then because of the sharing of our stories and the inner weaving of so many things, I realized that Jason had such a unique place in this story in my life. And I invited him to write the book with me. And we had a blast writing the book. The tug of war and the interchanges and all that kind of stuff was just what made it so very special. And so obviously very proud of that and, and, and really honored to have the opportunity today to share one of the, one of the lessons out of the book of, of Jonah. So we're going to do that this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 1, there'll be some verses on the screen, I'm sure, that will help you. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do in this room this morning. I don't ever come to places like this, but what I don't realize is that there are more things going on here than we could ever possibly know. Every person in this room, every man, woman, boy, girl, everybody in this room, you know them. You know them better than they know themselves. You understand the intricacies of their life and all the circumstances, both the past, the present, and the future. So I pray, Father, that there will be an ability in this room this morning to hear, to hear with our hearts and our, our spirits. I pray, Father, for the incredible ability to focus and concentrate that our distractions will be limited mentally and physically so that we can really hear what God is saying. And Lord, more than that, that we would take what you say to us and that we would then apply it to our life and that our hearts would belong to you, that we would completely and totally want what you want for the rest of our days so long as we live. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had God nudge you? I don't know if that phrase means a lot to you, but it's that, that little prompting in which you just feel like God wants you to do something, like I described earlier back in November. Maybe you just feel the prompting that you should speak to somebody or you should write a check or you should bake a cake and walk across the street or, or you should speak to someone. Uh, a few days ago, I was, I was in a, a, an area and I, I, I told the Lord that morning, I said, Lord, I want to be generous today. I mean, if there's one area of my life that Jason has so greatly influenced, it's his spirit of generosity. And I, and I said to the Lord, I want to be generous today. So my eyes are going to be open for opportunities where I can be generous today. And so, you know, I went to lunch and during the lunch hour, I felt like I should uh, cover the bill for a family and only to find out they were missionaries from overseas. And they were in town for a few days and, and it was a great opportunity to connect and I felt really good about that. And so then I pulled into a service station and I saw this elderly woman trying to pump gas and, and she was having struggles. She was trying to figure out the card reader and all the stuff that's there and I thought, here's a moment. And so I just slid over there where she was and I said, ma'am, 
would it, would it be okay with you if I just paid for your gas today? And she took that gas nozzle and swung it at me and said, get away from me, you crazy guy. Get away from me. I'll call the police. I went, okay. That probably wasn't the nudge of the Lord there, I think. That was more me than it was her. But sometimes the Lord just nudges you and you just get a sense, you just get a feeling that God is trying to do something. A few days ago, a friend of mine was talking to me and he was telling me about a, a chapel service uh, that he was in and, and, and uh, the speaker had spoken and he invited people to come down to the altar who were burdened with great sorrow, who were, were laboring under a burden of some kind and they needed relief. And, and so he got down on the altar with the others and he was just kind of helping to pray and he's walking along the altar just kind of praying. And he said, he, all of a sudden, as he kind of got over where a particular young man was, young student was, he just felt this nudge of the Lord that he should pray for the guy. And so in obedience, he just reached out and he put both hands on the back shoulders of the, of the guy and, uh, and he started praying for him very quietly and without drawing attention, just kind of leaned in and started praying. But he said, almost immediately as I began to pray, the Holy Spirit started praying through me. There was this spontaneous kind of moment in which the Holy Spirit just prayed. He said, I don't know what I was praying, but I was just praying in the spirit over this guy. And he said, when we, as I started praying, he said, I noticed his shoulders began to shake and he began to cry and, and was deeply emotionally touched in that moment. And so when they got through praying, the young man turned around and hugged my friend and said, thank you, thank you so much. You do not know how much I, it means to me. Thank you so much. I was so worried about my parents and I'm just so thankful that you reassured me that they were okay. My friend said, I don't know what you're talking about. The guy said, well, I'm from Guatemala. And he said, there's been an earthquake in my hometown and, and a lot of devastation. And he said, I, I have had no word from my parents, no understanding of how about their safety. And he said, as you were praying, you were praying in fluent Spanish, telling me that my family is fine. I don't need to be afraid. And, and I wondered when I thought, when I heard that story, I thought about how God always works through those little obedient moments. Someone who's willing to be obedient. Somebody who's willing to say, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. That's what makes the story of Jonah so amazingly strange. Because God leans into Jonah one day and says, I want you to do something. And Jonah said, there is no way I'm going to do that. And, I, and when I was reading the book of Jonah, I'm thinking to myself, who would dare to intentionally be disobedient to God? Then it occurred to me, we do that all the time. It's the way we live. We, we just decide if we want to do it or we don't want to do it. And oftentimes we tell God, I don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable for me. It's not what I want to do. It's not what I feel like I want to do. It's not the plan I have for my life. And we run from those kind of moments because we don't want to be obedient to God. And I wrote down in my little notes that day, who dares tell God, get off? But Jonah did. And some of us have. At times, just simply said to God, I am not going to do that. So look at the passage with me in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads as follows. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing 
to Tarsus. Now, there are just three things I want to lift up for you out of the story of Jonah that I think are important to this concept of wanting what God wants. The first of them, first of them is this. Sometimes the things that God wants are hard to accept. God tells Jonah, listen, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to announce my judgment against that wicked and evil city. If they do not repent, I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah said, I don't want to do that. Now, the obvious question is, why would Jonah not want to do that? Up to this point, we have no reason to believe that Jonah has not always done what God wanted. There may be several reasons. Some of it might have been personal. Some commentators that I wrote, I read about, said Jonah was a fierce patriot. The Ninevites were arch enemies of the nation of Israel. They were brutal, gruesome kind of aggressors. They killed and raped and pillaged the families and, and villages and destroyed. To go over there and, and say, God wants you to, to repent so that you can be forgiven was against everything that Jonah believed about his own life and his country. You say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, it'd be kind of like God saying to us, okay, here I here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and win the members of ISIS to the Lord. Or it'd be like the mothers and fathers of those whose children were killed in the Twin Towers on 9-11 being told by God, go wash the feet of the terrorist families who killed your babies. That's what Jonah was up against. And Jonah said, I'm not going to do it. And so in response to that, what he does is he goes down and he buys a ticket to go to Tarsus. Now, the only significance of Tarsus is simply this. But if you looked at the map of the known world in the time that Jonah lived, Tarsus was the southwest corner of the country of Spain. It is as far away from where Jonah was as he could possibly go to the west. So what Jonah was saying is, I just want to go as far away as I can from God in hopes that God will forget all this mess and I will not have to be obedient. In other words, I'm just going to ignore what God said. Sound familiar? Because you don't have to actually tell God to get off. You just ignore him. It's the same thing. You just act like you didn't hear him. Just don't do anything. You know, when your pastor was a younger boy, a little guy, a lot of times I would say, now, Jason, you need to do this. And he would just ignore me. Now, I'm just five, six feet away from him. And he would just ignore me, continue to stare at the screen or whatever it was he was doing. And I'd say, Jason, and then he, he would just continue to ignore until you got you know, really aggressive with him. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I didn't hear what you were saying. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> he heard everything I was saying. He was just ignoring me. That's what we do with God sometimes. We just ignore him. Hoping it goes away. That's what Jonah was trying to do. Get on a boat, go as far from God as I can possibly go, and let's just ignore it, and maybe it goes away. Maybe God says, well, he's not going to help me. I'll get somebody else. But God was not that way. Sometimes the things that God asks us to do with our life are hard to accept. There are sometimes people that are hard to accept. There are sometimes things that we, we run into that we just, we just feel like we can't do it because we don't like that person or we, we're not comfortable with that responsibility. We don't want to take on that kind of thing. Sometimes it's hard to accept what God asks us to do. Jonah proves that to us. The second thing that the story in Jonah teaches us is that God's grace will persistently chase us even though we resist. Because when Jonah gets on the boat and starts out 
There are three specific things that I think I can target that prove to me that the grace of God was chasing after Jonah. The first of them says, the Bible said that when he was on that ship, that the Lord caused a great storm, a great wind to come up. God was the originator of the storm. Not every storm in your life is the result of the devil. Not everything that happens in your life in which you're uncomfortable is because of sin. Sometimes God is just trying to get your attention. God's saying, wake up, pay attention. I need to talk to you. I need you to listen to me. That storm blew up and the uncomfortableness of that was God saying to Jonah, I'm not going to let you run away from me. I'm not going to give up on the plans that I have that involve you. The second thing the Bible says is as that storm gets more fierce and these, these seafaring men become afraid and they're, they're doing everything they can to survive in this storm, Jonah finally says, hey guys, listen, it's all on me. This storm is me. I'm running from the Lord. So here's what you do. You just throw me overboard. Now that, that had to be some kind of discussion that went on that night. Throw me overboard and when you do, everything's going to be fine. So they eventually heave him overboard. And then the Bible said there was great calm. Jonah starts going down into that water. And the Bible says, but the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, that's the part of the story sometimes that's really hard to get your mind around. And when, when, when I researched this and started looking at this, there's really only two types of fish known to man that have the capacity to swallow a man whole without chewing him. And neither one of those fish have the capacity to sustain life inside of themselves for three days and three nights. Which leads me back to what the text actually says. If you read it, the Lord prepared a great fish. Jonah. God intentionally, I believe, created something that would spare Jonah's life in order that he could get his attention. But hasn't God always been doing that kind of stuff around us? Hasn't God always intentionally and purposely caused things to happen in order that he might preserve us and save us? We look back now and say that had to be the hand of God. That had to be the Lord preserving and keeping us. I remember one of my dear and close friends telling me one time that he was on his way to go preach somewhere and, and, and he was late and he's trying to drive these little mountain roads through Kentucky and he's just, he's just really frustrated because he couldn't make any time. And all of a sudden he finds a stretch of road that he got a little clearing in and he just passed the cars and he took off as fast as he could. He comes around a curve and then all of a sudden this large coal truck just pulls right out in front of him and he slides the brakes, comes almost to a stop and now he's just beating on the steering wheel. He's so upset and he follows that coal truck all the way over that mountain and down the other side and as they start down the other side, he comes upon a massive car accident. Traffic is stopped and he gets out and he walks up there and he sees what happened and some folks were killed and Cars all mangled up. Going back to the car, he's thinking, you know what? I bet that coal truck was God preventing me from being right in the middle of that accident. Sometimes God does things that are hard to understand, but he does it in order to preserve the plans that he has for our life and for our purpose. 
God's grace persistently chases after us to ensure that we're still having the opportunities God has placed in front of us to be obedient, to want what God wants. The third thing that I can tell you is the Bible says in chapter three, after Jonah's been in that belly of that whale or that fish or whatever it was, after he's been in that fish for three days, the Bible says in verse one of chapter three, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Because that's grace. The fact that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, that's grace. That's God saying, Jonah, you may very well have been willing to die on the bottom of the ocean floor, but I wasn't willing for that to happen. My plans for you are still secure. The things that I want for you are still enacted. They're still going. I'm not going to let this get away. I'm going to continue to chase after you, hoping that you will want what I want. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And when I thought about that, I realized that's exactly the story of my life. It's the story of your life. It's the fact that God has persistently chased you every day of your life. When you went away, God didn't quit. He kept coming. He kept chasing. He kept sending things your way. He kept providing vehicles whereby you could get on the right path. It's like you stand at the intersection of a road and God says, I want you to turn right. And you go, no, I want to go left. And God says, you don't want to go left. If you go left, it won't work out well for you. Oh, but I want to go left. You can't make me go right. I want to go left. God says, don't go left. Go right. The best way is right. No, God, I want to go left. My friends are going left. There's a lot of things to the left. I want to go left. It's like God says, okay, go left. You're going to get totally messed up, but here's the good news. I'll be at the next intersection. You get to the next intersection, you're bleeding, busted body, and God says, I wish you'd have gone right. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to go right this time. It's the word of the Lord that comes to you a second time. But it's not even the second time. It's the fact that the word of the Lord came to you the 12th time and the 14th time, and the 73rd time, and the 144th time. And the story of our life is that God persistently and consistently never quits. He never gives up. He never gives up on you. No matter what you do or how you live or how you decide to do things, God is always chasing you with the purposes and the plans that he has because God's plans are the best plans. And he knows that if you choose his way and do things his way, you're going to be better for it. And instead of just letting you go to your own devices, instead of just letting you be the destructive person that you are, God keeps chasing after you. That's what he's doing with some of you right now. Chasing you. Trying to get you to wake up to the reality that his way is the best way. Not because he wants to control you. Not because he wants to take away from you the things that you think you must have. But because he knows that if you go your way, you're going to meet destruction you go God's way, you're going to find out that God's plans are best, which leads us to the last and final thought before we pray. And that is that God's plans are always better and bigger than we think. Because finally, Jonah decides he will go to Nineveh. He will be obedient to God. Now, the story ends like this. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches the gospel. And get this. After he finishes preaching to them, the whole city got saved. Not just Joe and his wife and Dory. No, the whole city. 
120,000 people gave their heart to God because one man was willing to be obedient and God working through that one man resulted in 120,000 people giving their heart to the Lord. You see, I think we underestimate the plans God has. I think we fail to appreciate how big the plans of God really are. Bill Hybels pastors one of America's largest churches in South Barrington, Illinois called Willow Creek Community Church. On the 25th anniversary of that church, he told the church the story of how he was sitting at a red light in North Chicago one night and God said to him, Bill, the plans that I have for you are bigger than you can believe me for. And from a small Bible study came a church that now averages 26,000 people every week. You know why? Because the plans of God are always bigger than we thought they were. The things that God was doing, the things that God was planning is always bigger and better than we could ever imagine. It's one of the things that makes praying such an interesting exercise to me. Because here's what I find a lot of times, that I'm over here praying about this something and God's over here working on this bigger thing. And I'm over here praying about this little something right here. And God's going, yes, but this is a much bigger thing here. Be obedient. So many times in the Bible I read where God would say like this, if my people would just obey me, they would enjoy things more than they thought. The riches of the land, all the plenties. And he even said this, if these people would obey me, not only themselves, but their children and their children's children would benefit from it. Because God always thinks bigger than we do. He's always thinking bigger, better things than we could ever imagine. So what kind of plans is God thinking about you? You're thinking about paying the mortgage on your house and God's thinking about bigger things. You're thinking about getting your kids through high school. God's thinking about bigger things. Because we, we tend to undervalue the plans that God has for us. The strategies and thoughts that God has for our future that are so much bigger and better than we could possibly imagine. So let me wrap this up by telling you the story, something that happened to me. This book is the 10th book that I've actually been part of writing. It's the only book I've ever co-written, but the 10th book. The first of those books was a book entitled Embracing Destiny. It's the story of Joseph, how that Joseph became a young man that saw the reality of God's purpose and plans, even though all of these things came against him. And what I said in the book is that your past can never define your present unless you let it. Whatever was behind you, whatever circumstances you've come up against, God's plans are better and they will win. They win out always. When I was writing that book in the introduction of that book, as I was finishing that introduction, which I typically write at the end of the writing experience, so I've already written the book pretty much and I'm writing the introduction to tell people what to expect in reading the book. The last paragraph, and I don't have the literal wording, I tried to find it this morning, but I don't have it. But the last paragraph went something like this. 
It has been my prayer from the very beginning that you will not have picked up this book by accident. That in fact, God wanted you to read this book because the plans that God has for you, the purposes of your life are big and God doesn't want you to miss them. And in a life that's fully surrendered and committed to God, God does amazing things when you surrender your life to him. Well, we went through the editing process. A publishing company decided to publish the book and I was working through the editing of that. And when we had negotiated the contract, I had insisted that I have the final editorial control over the content of the book. And so I simply wanted that just to, to make sure that the book reflected what I wanted to say. So we sit down for the final edits and the editor, the woman who's doing the editing, she, she handed me the manuscript. And as I'm looking through the manuscript, I don't know why I noticed it, but I did. That in the introduction, that last paragraph was missing. And when I inquired about it, she said, well, we struck that out because it's redundant. You've said the same thing a couple of times and there's no reason to keep saying the same thing over again. And I said, but I want that paragraph in the book. She said, no, no, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not legitimate to put it in there. So I just felt that nudge. And I said, I want that paragraph back in the book. There was a sense that somehow that was supposed to be a part of the story of the book. She got angry and later pinned down, walked out, and never worked on the book another day. The book was published and went out and was sold. And one night I'm in Macon, Georgia, in a hotel room, and it's late in the early hours of the morning, well after midnight. My cell phone goes off and I pick it up and I hear this sobbing, blubbering guy by the name of Bob on the other end. He's from Phoenix, Arizona. He'd been going to counseling to a minister there in the area who had a copy of the book and the guy had given him the book to read. And he told me, he said, sir, he said, I, you don't know me. I just felt like I needed to call you. He said, I, I read your book all the way through last night. I stayed up all night long reading the book. And he said, now I'm reading it again tonight. I wanted to call and tell you that I've been away from God. I haven't been the person I should have been. I used to serve the Lord, but I got away. But through the reading of the book and through the experience of God touching me, he said, I've recommitted my life to God. I've surrendered myself freshly to the Lord. I said, well, that's wonderful, Bob. Thank you for doing that. That means so much to me. He said, I want to read you something. I said, okay, out of your book. He started reading. It's been my prayer from the very beginning that you will not have picked up this book by accident. That in fact, God wanted you to read this book because the purposes and plans that God has for you have never stopped. He said, man, when I read that, I realized God's been after me my whole life. I said, yes, he has, Bob. We talked a few more minutes. He said, I wanna give the book to 22 of my divisional managers. And he said, if you would send them to me, I said, I'll be happy to do that. He said, I want you to help me pray about something. I said, what's that, Bob? He said, pray about me and my dad. We haven't spoken in 12 years. We work right here in the same office together, but we haven't spoken in 12 years. Some bad things happened and I made some mistakes and I lost a relationship with my father. And I just love for God to do something to bring that back to where it used to be. I said, we'll pray. And Bob, God does amazing things. Never can tell. 
We did the transaction for the 22 books. He sent me a check. When I got the check, I responded back to let him know I got the check and I took some time in that letter to say to him, I said, Bob, I'm praying for you and your dad. I'm sorry things have turned out the way that they had, but you never can tell. You've made a fresh start with your life. You've surrendered yourself to God. Expect God to do something to help in this situation. I'll be praying. And when God does it, let me know. What he didn't tell me in our conversation earlier is that he's a junior. I sent the letter to Bob Martelli and it was routed to his dad. His dad was the president of the company. I later found out that when his dad got the letter and read it, he picked up the phone and he called his son Bob for the first time in 12 years and said, Bob, I got this letter from this guy in Georgia. I think it belongs to you. Did you recently buy some books for our divisional managers? Yes. And Bob, I read the part in there about you and me. Why don't we go to lunch today? And Bob wrote me later and said, my dad and I, we're, we're rebuilding what was broken. Isn't God good? You see, here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning, that, it, that God does his best work in the lives of people who want what God wants, who obediently surrender themselves to God and say, God, I want what you want. Whatever that is, whatever I'm supposed to do, whatever that means, I don't always know what that means, but I'm telling you, God, I want what you want. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. I remember I was in Minnesota, Jason, speaking to all the pastors and their wives up there, and I was talking about this. And a woman came up to me and she said, listen, I, I appreciated your talk, but I gotta tell you something, preacher. I can't pray that prayer. I said, why not? She said, I had a four-year-old daughter that had cancer and she died. I don't want what God wants. And I said, listen, I, I don't know how to respond to that. I, I don't wanna minimize your pain. I said, so here's what I'm saying to you. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe the prayer goes something like this. God, help me want what you want. Because if you want what God wants and you're truly surrendered to him, the plans God has are bigger, better than you could possibly think. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment, if you would, please.